Hello and welcome to Rocket. I am not Simone de Rochefort, as you may be able to tell. I am Brianna Wu, attempting somehow to steal, steal, steer, steer the show this week. I'm joined as always by Christina Warren. Christina, how are you doing this week? I'm I'm excellent. I'm excellent. Um, I <laughs> yeah, uh, I've been yeah. busy uh, writing some stuff, and I've got other things going on. But I'm I'm good. I'm not screaming anymore. Okay, okay. So we're going to introduce our guest this week. This feeling good for Simone. The illustrious Glenn Fleischman. How are you doing, Glenn? What's going Hello, on? Hello. I'm fantastic. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I know you've been waiting all week, uh, very eager to be on Rocket, right? Yes. <laughs> waiting all very my life eager. to be on the show again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, we actually completely, I forgot that Simone was going to be out this week. So Glenn was very nice and jumped in last minute. But before we get to our topics this week, Christina, we only cover three topics on this show, yeah. but we've, we've got to just briefly talk <laughs> about your piece this week and the awesome, like any Christina Warren uh, story that starts with uh, it's all over, but the screaming as the headline, <laughs> like, you know, that's going to be good. So and, and, yeah. Yeah. And that was a direct quote from a source. <laughs> it was. All your quotes are like that. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so last, last week we talked about uh, Le Echo. Uh, uh, Lico, however you want to say it, a, a Chinese company who was trying to make it big in the United States. Um, and uh, I was imploring readers, I, I don't know if any of or listeners, either, I was imploring listeners to like reach out to me. Uh, I was a little thirsty about it. Um, I think after people read my story that, that, that went out this week, you'll understand why I was so thirsty. Uh, <laughs> there's a, basically, a, we'll have the link in the show notes. Uh, I, I don't want to get into it, but it just, uh, I, I got a lot more details from people who used to be at the company about what happened as it collapsed. And just some of the, some of the quotes were really good. Uh, I think, oh my my, I think my favorite was, um, so there was a, supposed to be a, a car launch at their big U.S. launch. Yes. And <laughs> that was my favorite, too, this quote. Oh there was supposed God. to be a car launch and this, yeah. this, this big like Tesla 3 competitor, Model 3 competitor. And then the car mysteriously didn't, didn't make it on stage. <laughs> and, and, and there was a problem. And so, so one, of, uh, one of my sources said, and let, let, me, let, me, find, uh, let me find the quote because it's, it's pretty perfect. Uh, basically, they said, um, looking back at the launch, a former employee said that in hindsight, it was clear the wheels came off before the launch. The wheels came off when the car stopped working. <laughs> and the whole piece is like that. It's just, it's fantastic reporting. So go well done, Christina. Thank like you. Everybody should go read that piece. But let's get started to rock it this week. You know, like, I feel like I want to talk about a fun topic first. Yeah. Let's talk about juicer technology. <laughs> yeah. Let's do let's, this. Well, let's talk about $400 juicers that don't let's need do to be $400. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So Bloomberg had an utterly catty awesome video that came out this week, uh, basically going after Juicero, which is this, um, it's a startup company. Uh, they've done very well with venture capital funding, uh, primarily because of this model that, uh, you know, gets you to buy refills of juice constantly. Um, so the, it started originally, I believe it was it 799. It was 700. It was 699. Yeah. 699. Um, they brought that down to 400 and uh, there was a story that came out this week of Bloomberg people just squeezing the, the packets <laughs> of juice <laughs> well, with their hands. The well, because the whole Instead, idea behind this juicer right. was that it's supposed to be able to like compress this huge amount of, 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 of torque <laughs> and stuff and, and, and give you the perfect press of juice, right? So you get these packets of, of, of squeezed vegetables and it will give you the perfect thing. Um, but what, what Bloomberg found is that you can just squeeze the packets with your hands and get the same amount of juice. 
<laughs> so, so, and some of the investors invested in this company uh, didn't know about it. So, Glenn, let's start with you. You were telling us that you feel like you have a particularly great uh, perspective on this. So, please enlighten us. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to point out I've had several thousand uh, careers in my life somehow so far. I've got, I got a list on my website. And I keep at it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that time that I was the white rabbit in an outdoor theater production one summer. I should put that on there. I was a professional costumed character. Uh, but um, my dad founded a granola company with a, a friend of his uh, in Eugene, Oregon. This sounds like a setup for something. Uh, made really great high-quality granola in the uh, in the 80s into the 90s. The company's still around. He hasn't been involved in a long time. Um, but uh, I spent a summer making granola with my dad in its early days. And um, so I know a lot about natural foods and uh, and food handling of that time and sourcing and so forth, uh, you know, because we'd buy 50-gallon drums of honey and massive amounts of fruit and entire uh, orchards worth of hazelnuts and things like that. And um, so I have some unique insight. But uh, the, the Juicero, like, I think there's actually – this is kind of my feeling about Soylent. We can get into Soylent a little too. Is that <laughs> there's a great idea in Juicero, which is that it is really hard to um, – in this, I mean, it even ties into Blue Apron, right? It's really hard to source – food and keep it stable long enough to eat it for a lot of people who are working so hard or so focused. So you could argue Juicero has an incredibly wonderful goal, which is to get people to eat essentially whole unprocessed foods. The processing is just like getting the best parts out without extra waste because they're using all of the fruit and you don't have to look at it so you're not discarding bad, you know, fruit that doesn't look happy, whatever. But <laughs> – the part that gets me. So, so I like all that. Like there's, you know, the supply chain things, all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, but the part that I like most is that like, what was he, he promoted it as being able to produce, um, as much. It could lift two Teslas. Right. Like the two press tons he made. Of, was it two tons of torque that the uh, four tons, I think. Yeah, I think four. Yeah. Four, four tons, tons. Four tons. And I'm like, so, you know, Bloomberg mentioned that in passing without providing the detail, but I thought, I don't, the human body, unless, unless these Bloomberg people are pretty cut, um, they're not producing uh, 8,000 pounds of pressure uh, per square inch. But um, so, so I think the, the thing is what he really came up with is an incredible process to produce like a very high hygiene, sh not shelf stable, but like longer than normal shelf uh, stability for a product that maybe you could squeeze with your hands or like you get a sardine roll or sardine style key and you just roll up the package and squeeze it out. That would also probably provide the amount of pressure too. Um, but I like the idea of eating. I, I like the idea of the juicing part of like the fresh ingredients part, not so much the uh, Wi-Fi enabled machine that uh, barcode scans things to make sure they're, uh, they're okay. licensed. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Okay. But this is, this is, I, I have a different opinion than I suspect all of you are going to have because when I heard about this story, I went down the dark rabbit hole of like learning about cold pressed juices and right. what the technology is behind it. Oh, so, yeah. So the, the idea with a traditional cold press, um, juice thing is uh, if you like go to Jamba Juice, which I do every single time I go to Penn Station, like I fall for it about like a $10 <laughs> drink. Um, yeah, the idea is it, you know, blends all this stuff together and doesn't preserve very well. So the, the original advent of cold press technology was it didn't like break down all the, um, the dietary fiber chains inside of it as much. Yeah. And it would store in the refrigerator for much, much longer. So this was originally like a, a preservation technique. It it seems to me that the the packs that they that this particular reporter was working with, um, you know, it's 
the food inside of it has to all be processed already. Like it's it's already mixed together yeah. or something. Right. Right. No, I, mean, I mean, that's how that's how it appears. Um, it, it, it seems as if they've already created the juice and this is just literally pressing it. And, and you know, as a dispenser, no, it's fresh. From what I understand, from what the Bloomberg story said, they are they just expanded to shipping the packets to 17 states, but it was previously only in three and they couldn't go across state lines because it's perishable. So I would have to imagine, you know, it, it, it maybe is fresh produce or whatever, but as you say, it's already been blended and processed. Right. So, like, my thought with this is, like, if it's putting four tons of torque on it, like, squishing it <laughs> flat, look at the bag itself. Like, this looks like a, a bad design error. Like, yeah. I don't see how that can, like, get the pulp, like, the pulp being stuck in that small little part at the bottom of it and Yeah, you're losing all the out. fiber content. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. the thing the Bloomberg yeah. article, article pointed out, this is kind of like um, – I mean, you know, I'll bring up uh, Theranos or um, yeah. maybe even the seg- the original hype for the Segway. And the Segway has turned out to be a perfectly reasonable product. But the original hype that it was going to change all transportation in cities would be right. redesigned around it. Like that was his pitch. It's like he's making a machine in which you're going to be able to stick, um, you know, much, much more um, uh, like uh, raw ingredient. Like the ingredients would be chopped. They wouldn't be pulverized basically and the machine was going to use the pressure to take something that was much rawer in the bag and produce a thing and that's why you needed all that pressure and my suspicion is as development progressed they figured out they couldn't actually do it and get a homogenized product that if you take big chunks of stuff and it's all in a bag and you squeeze it you get big streams of chunks of stuff coming out that isn't quite as uh delicious that would be my suspicion Right. So that's kind of my read on it, that I would suspect that they at some point said, you know what, we're going to put recipes out for the time being as we're kind of getting our um, operations in point that are easier on it, that aren't going to get stuck. And then as we're refining the technique, you know, we will make stuff that will actually take advantage of this press. It's kind of like um, if you have somebody that like says, oh, my Mac is a great game machine because it will play Peggle, right? But it will. It, it depends on like the 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 software that you're running on. And here, it depends on the kind of um, like juice formula they were sending this particular reporter. It doesn't mean they're different. There can't be different kinds of formulas later that um, you might require a cold press technology. Yeah, and I like this as a comparison to like Blue Apron. There's just a big article that came out about Blue Aprons, like the scale of what they're doing. The, the kind of jobs that are involved and, you know, it's become really big, really fast. And so, you know, the, one of the pitches for Blue Apron is that they will be able to reduce waste by centralizing stuff. So people will be able to eat, you know, healthy ingredients, prepare it themselves and also not have stuff in the fridge that rots and gets thrown away. So you're talking, and that's, that's part of the pitch, right? Is that supply chain situation. I feel like Juicero has a similar pitch, but they're like, they're masticating two levels deeper. <laughs> they're like, we're going to give you something that's already sort of ready to go and you just squeeze it out of this, you know, the thing. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Christina? I mean, I've always thought Juicero was a really weird product and had a very limited audience. When it was $700, like a lot of people made fun of it. I don't remember if at Mashable we even wrote about it. I know that Gizmodo, I'm going to find the article, wrote something. The, the person who wrote it is is, uh, is no longer there, but um, uh, this uh, the headline I think says it all, which was, the only thing dumber than buying a $700 juicer is investing in it. Um, oh my gosh. Which, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with. Like I think that the idea of, I mean, like, like you make a good point, you know, Blue Apron – 
has really taken off and there's some similar businesses. And I think you, there's something to be said potentially about getting, you know, fresh juices to the masses. And the subscription model, you know, a la Keurig or something else is kind of interesting. But I think the only way that it works as a value proposition is if this juicer is doing something that you couldn't do otherwise. And from what the Bloomberg story is saying and and from what their video is showing, the juicer is kind of an unnecessary part. Like maybe it makes it neater, (laughs) but it's kind of unnecessary. Like the real thing is 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 distributing these packets of, of juice. And and it's a it's a reverse of the razor blade model. You know, the razor blade model is you know, you sell a, a cheap razor and then you make up for it with, you know, the, the razors that cost you money. In this case, the, the, the blade costs you $400 and then that's the only way you can buy the juice packets. Like it, it, it just, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it makes very little sense to me. And it's, it's an easy, when it came out last year, it was one of those things. It was literally right at a year ago. Everybody, I think, with any sense, was kind of making fun of it. I remember seeing some like rich people on on rich uh, supermodels I follow on Instagram and Snapchat and things like that were like promoting it. And I was like, "Of course you are," but that was basically it. I'm like, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe if you're a, a fitness club or or, or something um, or a hotel, there might be a market for this, but it's just it makes no sense. I, I think there's also uh, there's uh, this issue about like. Um, uh, they're pushing the device as a way to make sure the ingredients are fresh. But the Bloomberg thing had this devastating item and it's like the device also reads a QR code to check this, you know, whether there's been a recall or the right. contents are <laughs> expired. Right. The right. expiration date is also it's printed, printed on, on the, the back. back. Yeah. Like, oh. because they, um, I'm trying to think about how pissed off I would be if I'm like trying to make some juice and then because like my internet is quirky for a second, right. like it's going to give the me D- a failure state. It's the D- or what about DRM? What if, yeah, exactly. what if you're prohibited right. from squeezing right. other juice right. in it, right? Exactly. Well, so, I mean, that's the idea. Right. But, but then the hilarious thing is, Brie, at least if it's not connected to the internet, you can always just take the bag out and squeeze it into <laughs> right. yeah. it. Or jump on it. One of my friends pointed out on Twitter when I was tweeting this story this morning, they said it only takes adding a B to turn Juicero into Juice Bro. And I thought that's <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay. But I mean, I, I will admit this. I, I will own up to this. I would completely use the service if it was something like Blue Apron. It sure. just sent the stuff to me. I love yeah. Blue Apron. Like it makes me cook all the time. I, you know, I love fresh juice. I just don't know anything about like the formulas to make them. So I would a hundred percent use this, but one of the things that's least appetizing about it now is knowing that everything's just all blended together. Like I can't imagine that tastes as good as Jamba juice. So, no. Oh, and it's I, expensive. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Right. If the, I don't know if the prices have gone down, but it costs, um, it's $4 a juice. And, and so it could cost for, you know, somebody who, uh, th- th- this was from the Gizmodo article from from last April. It says, of course, Evans estimates do not include the cost of the packets. An additional hundred dollars to two hundred dollars a week for a couple of for a couple or small family using a juicer on a daily basis. Wow! And it says, you know, um, it, she basically did. Uh, Kate Nibs basically did the math. But basically, it's you know four dollars per juice once a day would spend twenty eight dollars uh, a week on juice or one hundred and twelve dollars a month. So so one hundred and twelve dollars a month. In addition to the four hundred dollar price, and that's for one person. If you want more than one juice a day, then that's going to go up, you know, from there. Like it's, <laughs> this is wow. I mean, it, wow. this, this is literally like you know a, a Keurig for rich juice bros, like 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 you yeah. said, Glenn. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, I would get it if it were like a juice or two a week, like something right. that stays in my fridge, right? Oh my no, gosh. I yeah. think conceptually it's great. I mean, it's like it's somewhere between Soylent and Blue Apron on the like, is this going to, could this be good for people's nutrition and, and healthiness scale versus whatever else you might buy? And I, I think it's cool. Like Soylent, I think Soylent is a, is, I don't, I think what they're doing is not necessarily the right thing for the best benefit for society. But I think the idea of like creating an incredibly robust, a multi-sourced, really thought out, like a, you know, baby formula for adults that is, um, is a real meal substitute, I think has an impact across a whole landscape. And I don't know if it's like Bitcoin is something going to solve that problem. I don't know. I don't think it's the right part of the problem entirely, but I'm glad people are experimenting with it on a large scale. Cause I think it will have a positive impact. And I think like emphasizing the fact of getting juice and pulp and fresh ingredients is really great. Maybe just not this expensive device that doesn't really need to happen. So, I mean, so Christine, I have to ask you, like, you also travel a lot of work. Like, sure. do you eat like garbage when you travel? Because <laughs> I did before I got soilent. Um, and, I, I sometimes yeah. do. It depends, you know, on where I am and what airport I'm in and, and, and what the search, what the circumstances are. I try to do better. You know, I, uh, I gained some weight, which was not great. I've lost it all, uh, cause I cut sugar <laughs> out of my diet and I did some Love other it. things. And so I'm trying to be healthier, but yeah, right? um, soilent would probably be good for that. My, my big issue with soilent is, is again, you know, as as, a, as Eve Pizer, formerly of Gizmodo, kind of pointed out, like um, you know the, the, the whole the whole vomiting and diarrhea thing with that uh, yeah, they had that wasn't the, the best that, that, that oh whole problem, you know with, with the bars and with yeah. the premixes and apparently it's fine now apparently it's fine but like after after that issue with the algae or whatever that was used in in the formula I'm like yeah you know what. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I haven't told this story before, but that happened to Frank. Like he was eating <laughs> oh, no. some of the soilet bars. Oh, and no. we're out there volunteering for Hillary Clinton during the election. Oh, no. oh my God. We're going door to door and he's just like and then he like ends up talking to this Trump supporter and then later he's throwing up in their yard oh, in front of their house. <laughs> like a perfect storm i know it was so terrible so yeah that happened to frank um i just i mean it's like when i'm traveling and i wake up in the morning after like a long air flight it's either i'm i'm not gonna get up you know so i'm either gonna like spend 40 bucks on room service or whatever like i, I love it for traveling but anyway uh any last thoughts on on juicero and their uncertain future after this piece lol Lol. I'm old enough that I went through the juicing craze 20 years ago, and I used to get up and you know throw a head of kale into a a previous kind of uh, not cold press juicer. So yeah. I'm waiting for the oh, oh, you mean the, the old guy cycle. with the eyebrows, the old guy that, that like do you, do you remember the infomercials? Am I am I the oh, only yeah, one? Yeah, that's right. You can put what was it? He just he starts screaming. You can put anything in here. He just start throwing whole food foods <laughs> yes. in it, and yeah, he would just would put, come out. And, yeah, it, 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 the, the 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 juicing grandpa or whatever his name was. But oh uh, my god, he, no. he had great eyebrows. Is whatever. I, I had a respectable one. I had a Krups. It was just a normal brand, but uh, but yeah, you just throw throw a head of cabbage in that thing and then drink it. Mm. Mm, delicious. All right. All right. So I think I'm about to feel like Tucker Carlson right now on our podcast because <laughs> I've got to read the ad and I know I'm not going to be as good as Simone and give the audience what they want, but I'm going <laughs> to give it my you best can do it. anyway. You can okay. Do it. Okay. So this episode of Rocket is brought to you guys by who else? Blue Apron, the number what? one recipe delivery service that has <laughs> oh the recipe God. ingredients. Yeah, I have to say, 
unlike the Juicero, which is a terrible deal, <laughs> Blue Apron will give you uh, a great meal for less, uh, you know, roughly about $10 a meal. And I use it all the time. I love Blue Apron. Frank loves Blue Apron. Like something I've um, started doing is instead of spending my evenings on Twitter, I have learned to cook and I've gotten to be a really, really good cook thanks to Blue Apron. Um, so, you know, what I love about Blue Apron is, uh, you know, all the, um, the, the food that they send you, it's responsibly sourced. Um, it's always really, really, really high quality. I have, you know, been subscribing to them for so long. I've never had anything sent to me. There was anything like that felt funky, like it was all super fresh and awesome. Um, and one of the awesome things about Blue Apron is they don't repeat any of their recipes at all throughout the year. So like you're constantly getting new things to like um, learn how to make. And it's just like, it's literally like this roulette wheel of food, which is absolutely awesome. So um, what you can do is check out this week's menu and you will get three meals free with your first purchase, including free uh, shipping. And all you need to do is to go to Blue Apron dot com forward slash rocket you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with blue aprons so don't wait visit blueapron.com and we thank them for their support of rocket and for relay fm blue apron a better way to cook yeah, Simone could have done that better, but I, I gave it my all. You gave it your all, and, and you're, all you're, you're a user. You're, 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 um, so you can speak to how it works, so that's awesome. I'm, I'm a user. <laughs> I use. You I use. use. I you're use. a customer, um, whatever, whatever that. Yeah, yeah. So let's kind of get to the boring uh, story in the middle <laughs> of the show. Uh, probably a better way to phrase that. Uh, let's talk about Facebook's uh, really big event this week. So, um, you know, uh, basically they, uh, Facebook had their annual uh, developer event and, uh, you know, they had a, a lot of news that came out. Like they gave the, uh, the Facebook live murder, a very, very passing cursory mention, which I thought was, um, probably, uh, I thought it was a bold step to take there. Yeah. I was, um, I was a little surprised yeah. that Zuck mentioned it at all. Cause he's usually, again, this is like more proof that he might be planning to run for office as awkward as that would be because typically, I mean, cause that's the sort of move that like, you know, when big things happen at like Apple or Google or whatever, they will sometimes address it. Like, you know, Apple addressed the, the FBI thing and, and they addressed, yeah. you know, some other stuff, but typically Facebook is not one that addresses any sorts of controversy at all, unless absolutely forced. So it was so timely and obviously it had happened, but for him to make a statement, I was honestly shocked. Yeah, definitely. So I guess the really big news to come out of um, Facebook, uh, you know, the thing that's certainly getting the most press is kind of their VR initiative. You know, when, um, when Facebook originally bought Oculus, uh, one of the things they, they said was they wanted to create like a, a, a space for friends to hang out in VR. It's taken quite a while to get here. And we kind of um, first saw this first take at it uh, from Facebook. So I guess, you know, I've got some, some rather deep thoughts on this as someone yeah. who's you know done quite a bit of development before i do that i kind of want to go to you uh glenn like how what were your thoughts on this well you know i'm i'm uh i'm not a luddite i don't think that's the right reason but i'm a very 2d person so um vr has had zero impact in my life 
And I'm only interested in it because of the enthusiasm of people like you, because <laughs> of what I can imagine is coming. And it's funny because I'm an early adopter of a lot of stuff, partly because I write about it and partly because I'm just excited to see what the cutting edge is. But as a Mac owner, uh, my gear is not really equipped for a lot of VR, maybe any real VR stuff that's interesting. So I've been kind of sitting it out. So I saw I saw this announcement and I think, you know, my question is always, uh, you know, who's the market for this? Is it If it's the kids, then, you know, you have to take advantage of, of mobile technology. You have to be um, articulating how this is going to work with the advances in mobile processors uh, and other technology that's coming. And if it's oriented around a desktop model, then I'm like, is is that the kids? Is that the you know the excited up and coming market? And if it's not, then people older than the kids, you know, people in their twenties and thirties and forties, are they really going to adopt it? So my, I have a very uh, you know twenty five thousand virtual feet um, view of this, wondering where it fits in because I've heard VR has been this constant drumbeat for my entire professional life the last twenty five years. Um, it's been talked about, thought about, examined. It's finally coming into fruition as a technologically feasible thing. And I still don't feel like there's a compelling case, even when I see something like this, that makes me go, this is the breakthrough that will cause some kind of adoption beyond a specialist or gaming market early adopter field. Yeah. And Christina, what were your thoughts on it? Because I, I I largely agree with you, Glenn. Yeah. And I, lar- I largely do as well. I mean, look, I've seen some great VR demos. In fact, um, I will be at the Tribeca Film Festival this week um, looking at a lot of their VR film initiatives. And, and I um, will be writing about that for Gizmodo. Um, about kind of the state of VR and filmmaking because I think that's really interesting and there's a potential there. I also actually got a chance to play the Rick and Morty VR game, which is available on Thursday, the 20th. Um, and that uh, is from, from um, Alchemy, the people who did uh, Job Simulator. And it, I have to say, as a game, is one of the, the most fun VR times I've had. Like, it's a, it's a really good game. Because What's, what game is this It's again? Rick and Morty VR. Mm. So what? I haven't heard anything about this. So Tell this is so it. this is from uh, Adult Swim Games with, in conjunction with Alchemy, who made Job Simulator, and it's basically the Rick and Morty cartoon show, um, but a VR game. And so it's a bunch of puzzles. Um, you know, the voice actors from the show are involved. You're basically inside the Rick and Morty world. So you're basically inside the cartoon. It's very cool. Huh? No, that sounds really interesting. I, 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 I mean, if, if you were, if you remember. I'm dating myself here, but there was a, a, a Simpsons game called Virtual Springfield that was a CD-ROM yeah. game that came out in the oh, 90s. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that, except you're actually in the world. So it's it's literally, oh. you're literally, um, what happens is basically they make you into a Morty clone and you have to go through, um, it, it, it uses, you know, um, a, a room scale and, and it uses, you know, the, the, the touch controllers, the Vive controllers, where you actually pick up objects and do physical things and you have to complete puzzles. And, um, you know, it has some of the similar mechanics of of Job Simulator, but it's all within the Rick and Morty universe, you know, and it's all with that sort of humor and kind of, you know, an open world element where you can kind of explore and do different things and find hidden stuff around and and kind of, you know, go along at your own pace. And it's a very interesting, I think, a really good game. Um, It's the sort of thing where I feel like, is it is it the killer VR experience we've all been waiting for? Well, no, of course not. But it's one of those things that I think people will will play it and will go, oh, this is really fun. And and you know, I I got out of the, I only got I got a half an hour with it last week, and I had a blast. And 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 I got out of it. And I was just like, I want to go back in and do more. Um, and and it, and and it, I think because 
of the way they use the intellectual property was really smart. Um, but also the graphics, I mean, it literally, because it's a cartoon, it was perfect because you're literally in that cartoon world. And so it was a really good way of kind of creating that experience. But they've, they've done studies, by the way, Christine, the show that uh, people in VR, they vastly prefer uh, cartoon, like interacting with cartoons versus photorealistic things, because it's just really disturbing. The closer you get to reality, right. the more you're in that uncanny valley. So that completely makes sense to yeah. me based on like well, uh, data I've seen. So, so, so if that's true, then that actually would maybe make some sense why Facebook is trying this, you know, Facebook spaces, which kind of looks like a, as, as, as a colleague of mine, um, Sydney uh, said, he was like, "It looks like some 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 Wii Fit, you know, some Wii Sports stuff from yeah. from, from 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 the early two thousands." Um, you know, maybe, maybe that makes more sense. I don't know. I feel like you know, obviously, when I remember the earning the, the the earnings call or the conference call, whatever it was, when Facebook bought, bought Oculus, I remember calling and listening in because I wrote up that news story for Mashable, and I've been covering Oculus as a business, and I remember even the blog post, you know, Zuck pointing out how much how he thought that like you know VR had this huge social potential. And I don't think he's wrong. I think that that when you look at, you know, virtual worlds whether it's things like Second Life or or, or even going back to chat rooms or or whatever there's definitely I think at least or or even if you go online gaming and just you know the 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 kind of spaces people do with 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 you know Xbox Live and and, and PlayStation Network and that sort of thing, there's definitely this, you know, com- uh compelling thing for people to want to be online together in these sorts of spaces that, that aren't physical. But I do wonder if at least the implementation of like when we see like, like Facebook spaces, if that's the sort of social VR thing that I don't, I don't feel like that's what's going to take off. I still feel like we're waiting for that, that breakthrough experience that's going to convince a bunch of people to spend hundreds of dollars on a headset and hundreds of dollars on a computer um, that's capable of, of using it. And, and I don't think that, that sitting around with four other people in Facebook at a virtual party is going to convince anybody to do that. Moreover, I think I anybody. Yeah. Moreover, I feel like anybody who's spending the money on an Oculus Rift and an Oculus Touch set and, and a computer to power it, I don't necessarily think that's the demographic that wants to be in a virtual room with their friends. So you know, I've I, I really completely agree with you on that, Christina. Um, yeah, I've been a really big proponent of VR, and you know, I have pretty much every system that exists in my house. I spent a lot of time like, you know, working with this and doing play test groups, all of that. Um, I've really almost come to the conclusion that VR is going to be an arcade experience for most people. Um, It's, it's fun. It's immersive, but it's a ride that you go on. And I, I really find myself just, I will pick it up and I will play even a game as great as Robo Recall. I'll play it for a while, but it's just there's something about VR that doesn't make you just go to it the way that you do every um, you know a 2D game. With Facebook, I don't think this is ever going to catch on in the format that it's in. Because Facebook is about stolen moments, right? It's you're on a train, you know, you've got two seconds, you look at your phone, you see what everyone else is doing. Um, I, I think like it's got to be so much more seamless for this to work, which is why Google Hangouts really, really works because uh, you know cameras built into your phone are so ubiquitous these days. So I, uh, 
you know, it's almost the snow crash problem. Have have either of you guys read Snow Crash? Yes. Oh yeah. Many like, times. So, so the whole character of Juanita, right? Where she's talking about the faces and how that's what makes the Snow Crash universe catch on because you can actually read the emotion in other people's faces. You know, the reason Google Hangouts is so compelling is when you're doing a business meeting, you really get a sense of the person that you're with. Like hanging out with cartoon avatars, in it's just not the same. It doesn't communicate all of that information. So um, I think this is basically going to end up being a really elaborate, cute tech demo that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, the, the question, I think what you're saying is absolutely right, is that the question is what does uh, VR bring that 2D video or maybe even better 2D video, like the higher quality 4K, you know, bi-directional uh, multi-party uh, video doesn't do. If I can get that, then why? what's, what's better about VR? Because you got to get me over that hump. Well, and then spend a thousand dollars on right. top of it and <laughs> right. go to all Art. that inconvenience. Yes. Right. I mean that that the what and, and that's the weird thing about this implementation is that in some ways it's almost better for the people who aren't in VR because they can actually face uh Facebook message video call in. So they can basically kind of like FaceTime in and their actual video will be in the experience and then they'll still see people's avatars, I suppose, on their screen versus you know what I mean? Like which to me like like you're saying, Bree, if I'm going to be doing that, I would rather see – I mean, I can understand on the one hand, I might want to, you know, maybe not show my face or have like a my, my own avatar be my representation or this or that. But I think in most cases, like – yeah, I, I wanna I wanna see the people I'm talking to and, and kind of, you know, I think that's where something like HoloLens becomes more compelling to me because I feel like that become you, you know, you kind of want that AR experience and even the way that they're doing the the spaces, you know, they're like, Oh, well you can show pictures and this and that. I'm like, you're really their their vision for spaces, I think, is really ultimately would be best served by AR, not VR. I agree. I think I AR, AR is the future. Yeah, I completely agree. I think AR will get ubiquitous enough and like that will take us to where, you know, cybernetic eyes and actually, you know, having that imprinted on reality. I don't see any future where VR really gets a substantive um, um, user base. Like, well, I'm so glad to hear as, you say that. As far as games themselves they're not better in VR. There's some stories that are better in VR, but it's really more of a an arcade ride experience. Like it's a cool one-off thing, but it's not the main way you want to experience these things. So I just uh, I'm I'm not sold on it. It's funny because AR is is easier at some level, right? Like I don't mean it's easier to. I mean nothing is easier in programming and development, but it's much. It's a much more straightforward task to overlay stuff on reality than to create reality that's convincing and compelling. You don't have to create a scene in front of you. You have to figure out a way to label and enhance it that's useful to people. And I can think of a million things. We can all think of a million things immediately that would be fantastic. Like I just imagine I have this um, <clears throat> excuse me this problem that a lot of people have is the first time someone tells me their name, it, I forget it while they're speaking it to me. The second time, I'll remember it maybe forever. 
having goggle head up display where I walked into a room of people and as they introduced themselves to me, it put it into my database. Maybe it was even, you know, we could talk about privacy issues. It would erase it when I left the room, whatever, but just be able to look around and know people's names, know something about them. Like there are a thousand things with VR. I'm very hard pressed to come up with one compelling thing beyond certain kinds of games that would be better than AR or even 2d. Robo recall is great. Like you're dodging and shooting robots in the head and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) That's the use case. Before we uh, go to like close this topic out, I wanted to ask you, Christina, the other kind of tech, um, I don't want to say gimmick, but then the other technology that they kind of um, brought to bear was um, a kind of uh, persistent world AR that you can do with Facebook camera with basically like, putting a virtual lamp on your kitchen table and then it's always there and kind of seeing this other world. Um, I can see that having some really interesting commercial applications like Pokemon Go did. Right. But I mean, overall, are you enthused with this? Do you think it's going to be another tech demo that doesn't go anywhere? Like what are your, what are your thoughts on that, Christina? I think that is a tech demo that at least for right now does not go anywhere. I think that what that will eventually do is potentially the technology will make its way into more consumer things. But right now it's kind of like like last year at F8 they showed off that huge array of like 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 3D cameras and or 360 cameras, you know, that they had, had like a, a bajillion GoPros all attached together in an array and we haven't really seen anything of that. And so this is something that, you know, Facebook likes to do and that Google likes to do as well. Um where where they like to, to kind of show off these these really big um, you know, like, I, I guess, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they like to make these really big moonshots. And this is what that feels like. This doesn't feel like this is going to ever be kind of a consumer product. Um, it feels like it's a cool tech demo. And maybe eventually, once things are further down the line, you'll see the fruits of that labor in a more consumer product. But for right now, I just look at that. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll believe that when I see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I felt like, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Zuck kind of threw Oculus under the bus with uh, when oh, he was yeah. talking about this technology, because he gave this kind of snide comment, like, you know, we're not going to expect people to go spend $500, you're going to like use your $1 phone. Wow. And it's, it's like, it was such an acknowledgement of that extremely high barrier to entry. I, I, I was really um, kind of stunned he would make that comment. Well, I mean, at least he's aware, though, right? Because I think they have to be. I mean, the, the, the point is, is that and and I've always thought this, you know, the two billion they spent on Oculus and then the five hundred million they had to spend on the Zenimax lawsuit, um, you know, that was to get them into the space. That's that and that was a relatively low investment to kind of buy some talent, you know, and, and then they're obviously spending far, far more on doing their own research and R and D and other stuff. But eventually, if any of this stuff is going to take off, the barrier to entry has to get down lower. You know, the headsets have to be more comfortable, have to be less expensive, have to be um, you know, these experiences, you, you can't expect people to, to spend $500 plus another $1,000 for a computer. Like, you have to literally get it to the point where it can be on anything. And I don't know how far off we are from that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's well said. All right, so final fun topic tonight. Uh, we're going to kick Nintendo around the uh, around the bend a few <sighs> Nintendo, times. Nintendo, Jesus. Uh, so, Christina, yeah, you did a story, right? Talking about the the rumors that are coming out about yeah, this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the backstory is uh, the NES Classic Edition is dead. So weird. Right? I'm so, so angry. weird. I, I'm not kidding, guys. I've been on Amazon every day trying to find one that was less than $100. And I'm like, I'm not going to spend more than $100 on I this. I don't blame you. And, I mean, uh, look, I mean, yeah. I, I, might, I might do $120. I, 
it's 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 that good. I'm I'm very fortunate that I have one. But if I didn't, I'd be so mad. And and I, I I'm sorry. I don't mean to like rub that in. But like yeah, it's it's yeah. it's thanks, Christina. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But but I have one. But like but it but I was trying to find them through the holiday season and stuff beforehand too because I wanted to give them to people as gifts because it's so great. And and Charles Tam um uh, uh, who's amazing uh, sent me um the uh, mini Famicom. Uh, so I have the Japanese one too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Um, it, but but yeah, no. So so they cancel their most successful product. Let's, be, before we get into the rumors, what's you guys' take on that, Glenn? Like you you said that's so weird. Like uh, although Nintendo tends to make questionable business decisions, but have you have you can you recall another time when a company has had a hit product like a genuine bona fide hit where months later like eBay prices are exorbitant and they've just been like, yeah, sorry, we're we're not making anymore. Can you recall another time? No, I thought I misunderstood the story when I first heard it because it seems so so ridiculous. Because don't you know this is like uh, Hamilton tickets or something? Shouldn't they just raise the price if they're having supply chain problem? Whatever, whatever the issue is, they could sell them more of them. Um, I cannot think of a time like I, there's a thing about killing their darlings, which Apple has been so good at, where it will kill a product that's seemingly still popular, but they know internally what the curve is. So when they kill the uh, iPod Nano or something, they know where it is in the in the life cycle and they've got the next thing ready and they introduce it so the curves intersect and they don't have an unpopular product on the market, right? And you could say the iPad mini, maybe they've kept it a little long based on what it seems like the sales are as they've introduced new things to replace it. But I can't think of anything like Nintendo where you're like, the only thing that makes any sense is that there is a manufacturing problem that's insuperable, but I can't think oh, of what no, no, that no, would no. be. No, no, I, I completely I mean, disagree with you, Glenn. Nintendo has a huge history of intentional shortages with their supply chain. Right. They did it with the NES when it came out. Though, right. Yeah, intentional, intentional to make Game it Boy so Color. hot. Yep, mm-hmm. to to make you unable to get it. They do it with the Wii U. This <laughs> is just how they operate. A switch. This is my theory on this, though. <laughs> They've got the Wii, the the Nintendo Switch coming out. The reviews on it have been very mixed. Yeah, yeah. Great technology. They've got those manufacturing problems, but the problem is the Switch has no games. So I believe that they pulled the NES is because it was getting all of the sizzle. It was getting all of the attention. And I think that the rumor you're going to be talking about, Christina, I do believe it's true. Yeah. But that's also going to be coming out after the Nintendo Switch has more games that are coming out. Because right now it's pretty much just Zelda. So I think this is that's why I believe they did it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that makes some sense. There's also some rumors that they might be coming out with like a, a d- different edition or something like, else like that. I don't know. I just, it, what seems odd to me is I know Nintendo has this history of intentionally like, you know, um, curtailing supply so they can have more demand, but I can't recall a time when they've flat out canceled a product and said, we're not going to make any more, you know, like, like the, like the Game Boy Color was sold for years and years and the same, the Game Boy Advance and, 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 you know, the, 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 um, the Wii, you know, it's like eventually they, they get things under control. Yeah. But 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 going back to to the new rumor, uh, Eurogamer is reporting that they are going to be releasing a mini Super Nintendo for the holiday season. And and Nintendo's own statements about why they canceled the the mini NES is they were basically like, well, we never intended it to be a permanent product, and and we were surprised by the demand. All right. Well, honestly. They should have known last July when they announced the thing and everybody on the internet went crazy. They should have known this thing was going to be a hit. But regardless, um, there's the I'm very excited as as somebody who loved the Super Nintendo more than I loved the original Nintendo because I was I was older and 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 have more fond memories of it. Um, and, and I've been begging for a mini Super Nintendo basically since the mini Nintendo came out. 
uh, I love the idea, even though I like don't trust them at all to not screw it up. Um, I love the idea that that they might be releasing a mini Super Nintendo with with you know similar design and and maybe you know the same thirty games or whatever. Um, what, I what mean, do you Christy, think? you feel that way because the games are drastically, drastically better. Yes, I mean the thing that really gets me about the NES is. It was the games that were developed in that time period. A, the programming on the NES. Like, if you've ever spent time hacking an NES or trying to do your own programming on it, I just have so much respect for those people. Like, yeah. because, like, direct memory addresses and the, the way you had to hack everything in that to get games to work. It's a miracle anything ran on this Nintendo, to be honest with you. But the games back there are universally too hard they're frustrating. They're cheap. Um, we just didn't know that much about game design. So the Super Nintendo is by far a better product. So yeah. I, I think you're dead on with that. So, so yes. I mean, so the rumor is that that'll be coming out. And it's so funny because last November, uh, Andrew uh, Lazuski and I wrote a post called These Are the 30 Games Nintendo Should Include on a Tiny Super Nintendo. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, now everybody else, every other tech publication has written the exact same take um, six months later. Uh, I would like to point out that we were first. <laughs> yes, we were. Yes. Um, so, so speaking of you being first, this brings us into the reason I wanted to talk about this today. Yeah. Because everyone else also picked up a, new, a Christina Warren story I didn't even know existed. Um, where uh, So basically with uh, the Nintendo being pulled, um, a bunch of people, uh, How to Geek wrote a story about uh, how to make your own uh, you know, Super N- Nintendo emulator, NES emulator mm-hmm. with a Raspberry Pi. Um, and I have to say, I told you about this. You're like, Brie, I wrote the same story about how to do this. I go and look at it. And because I had to redo it again today because of some setting things, I went through your guide instead. (laughs) And it's much better written. It's much better. Like use, if you're on Mac, please follow Christina's story. Um, but yeah. So I want to tell you guys about it. And you did this too, Christina. This is yeah. the world's most fun project. Oh, for it's the like greatest weekend project. Oh, it's, it's so the much best fun. weekend project. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah so, t- t- tell us about your experience building building a Raspberry Pi emulating okay. machine. So I bought the kit and then I read your story and I read that I bought the same kit that you recommended. So great minds think alike <laughs> after the fact. Uh, basically, I went to Amazon and I bought um, one of these uh, Raspberry Pi kits because it came with the um, it came with a 32 uh, SD card, mm-hmm. uh, the Raspberry Pi chip, a decent power supply, some heat sinks, which from everything I've read seem completely unnecessary. Right. Um, and uh, for N64 games, I find that they're useful. Okay, I can see that. I have not tried emulating those yet. Um, now, the controllers, I already had wireless uh, 8-bit do controllers in my house yeah. for NES and SNES. Those are so good. I, I extremely highly recommend them. They feel practically the same as uh, you know, the, uh, the NES original controllers, and they are great for playing on like the actual real SNES hardware. But um, yeah, I was expecting it to be super fiddly putting this together, and it's just not. Like you, you download the um, you download the uh, the stuff that they uh, the Raspberry Pi thing. 
you plop it in uh, the the ROM burner, you pop the chip in there. Um, for me, I've got a ROM uh, burner at my house that like will take all the data from existing NES cartridges I have around. Ooh, so nice. So yeah, That's I wanted awesome. to keep it legal. <laughs> wanted to keep it legal. So uh, yeah, and I did that, and I moved my copy of Super Mario Two, which is my favorite game of all time, uh, into it. And what is so awesome about this, Christine, is it's actually better than playing on the original hardware that I have sitting right there because the colors are so much brighter. And the best part is you can activate these um, these shaders. And uh, it's the, my favorite one is the CRT uh, with a curvature filter that will emulate scan lines on your NES game and give it the appearance of being rounded like a CRT monitor. Oh, man. And it is just... It's something about it that just makes it feel so much more authentic and gorgeous at the same time. So this is this is just an absolute blast. That's awesome. So what 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 shaders did you use? We're using that with a uh, with 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 um uh I, I assume you're using um RetroPie. Yeah, RetroPie. That's the one I used. Uh, so yeah, and it just uh it works really uh well. I would say the controllers were a little bit of a pain in the butt to get paired. Uh, the 8-bit do controllers, I had to um, repeatedly set them up for USB tethered mode and then set them up separately in Bluetooth mode. And they are just a little bit quirky. So there's one of those kits that comes with two tethered uh, USB controllers. I think that may not ha- be a bad thing to have around for backup. But yeah, this is just a really great project. That's awesome, and Glenn. I know that speaking of, of, of emulated stuff, um, you you, uh, you wanted to mention something. Yeah, all this fancy things like color and <laughs> um, graphics and so forth. I was I was excited this last week because the Internet uh, Archive um, released a massive emulated uh, or database of um, or library rather of emulated Macintosh stuff from the yes! relatively early days. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure bring this up because I know it's so had you can run um you can run like raw Mac uh, uh what do we call it in those days System Six and System Seven. Um, System I remember seven. downloading System Seven in 1991. I was at a high speed connection, hundreds of kilobits per second. I'm sure um, at a university, and I could download it from Apple's FTP archive. Mm. It was so exciting. Um, but this, it's, it's great because, uh, someone tweeted this and I bring it up in the WebKit or the Safari view browser in Tweetbot. I go to the page and I'm running an emulator inside like a mini browser in an app on my iPhone. And it's, of course, vastly faster than the original. Uh, Max, but it's um, it's really hilarious to like boot the thing up, and it's this tiny like I've got a 4K monitor, so the the Mac is like the screen is like two inches by three inches um, on the screen. You can of course go full screen if you need to, but um, uh, Dark Castle is one of the first things listed, and uh, Dark Castle almost uh, cost me my college career because an evil person who was a friend gave me a copy of the game uh, during reading week before finals. And um, I had to play it to the end. So I think I eventually kill screened it, but um, it, it nearly cost me my college career. So some of the uh, some of the Raspberry Pi projects I were I was seeing were actually emulating all those things that just came out, Glenn, because I had so much time oh, doing great. this. I was like, this is going to be the next thing I build. They have Apple Lisa, like 3D <laughs> printed uh, Raspberry Pi things that you can put it in there with their official 7-inch uh, touchscreen. So... I don't know. I think that would also be a fun project. That is amazing. It's just, I, 
I mean, there's something great. Like, here's the thing is several years ago, it seemed like we were going to lose the past. Like we'd just be Mm -hmm. like flash is a great example. Like I think that we're going to have a greater ability to run like 1981 video games than we will to be able to run flash based stuff in a few years. Oh, you're without a doubt. I was going to say, because this (laughs) is the thing that depresses me is about like future bit rod, like this kind of modern era, because like we have, we have the, uh, the, the source code and we have, um, the the you know the ROMs and we have all this stuff for the for the existing kind of games, but but Flash stuff is is going to be hard to to recreate and emulate because it's going to go away, right? And then yeah. let's think about mobile apps because okay, already we're going to be losing a, a library of 32 bit iOS apps when Apple officially moves everything to 64 bit, which we all assume is going to happen with iOS 11, right? So already those things are not going to work. But then let's talk about the situation of how do you preserve a mobile operating a, a mobile operating mm-hmm. system how do you preserve mobile apps how do you preserve mobile games so that you know 30 years from now the the thing 20 years from now the things that we're we're talking about doing with you know going back to 1991 and and, and system 7 uh when we are in you know um uh, uh 2037 um, we're able to access, you know, our, our iOS 10 stuff. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to, uh, you know, I hope we will, but it's, but because of, of the way app stores are, because of the way things are with DRM and, and, and the, the way the ecosystems are closed off, I do become kind of concerned about like the future, like, you know, digital archiving uh, ability. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, yeah. All the DRM prevents that. Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out, by the way, is uh, I went to the Living Computers. Uh, it's called Living Computers Museum and Labs, which is one of the many things Paul Allen has done in the Seattle community. He's put a, you know, for, for all the crap he gets over the years about different things he's done, he's put a lot of money into the Seattle area. Like, you know, I'm, I'm actually kind of okay with him now. Uh, but this is a great great place and it's the living computers thing so you go there and um hey i walk in and almost burst into tears because the uh, circuit board is hanging immediately as i walk in that is almost identical to the one for the first computer i owned an ohio scientific computer with a 6502 processor like an apple II. so i'm almost like having my you know a proust moment there um but it also like throughout they've got everything from old mainframes running down to like every kind of computer model and um you can touch and work with most of them so i brought my older son in and he's playing video games from the you know 70s and 80s and old atari consoles and um so uh, it's an incredible it's an incredible experience to see this stuff still being kept alive, but it it does emphasize what you just said. Like that goes to a certain point, and then you go into this gray zone where it's like all of the hundreds of thousands of mobile apps that have been created, so many of them are dead forever. Like they'll never be able to be resuscitated and run again, even while we're looking at this like living archive uh, and the emulated archives we have online. It's a very weird. Um, I mean, it emphasizes what DRM does in the kind of protection that operating systems wrap around um, our ability to remember the past. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's, um, I mean, you know, it was, um, when I started this project, like, it was really important to me to, you know, I have such a large collection of games that that's why I got the the ROM dumper, right? Because I just wanted to transfer my copy and do it legally. But, you know, in the game world, there's a huge debate because there's so many games that really are lost to the ages, you know, and mm-hmm. there's no other way to to save them. Like, you know, take Elevator Action. Like, this is a, a MAME game that came out in 1996. 
I've been looking for a legal way to play that for you know the better part of 30 years and I just can't 20 years rather and I just can't find like a um you know a, a legit way to do that like I can go buy a, a specialized Sega Saturn and spend like you know $500 on a you know a, a pristine copy of it but it's just nearly impossible to get so I think all of that's well said um so uh, Glenn, let's uh, let's uh, end the show by finding out what you're, what are you doing this week. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of not being a luddite, I I, uh, I I like to go back in time these days, and I'm working on a letterpress printed book. So I'm still in the design stages, but I just spent um, January, February, and March doing a a ton of letterpress printing. And uh, this week, I went to visit a, a bookbinder who binds with uh, you know old methods and does hand-sewn bindings and so forth to talk about binding my book. So I got to see old techniques and talk about type and look at woodcuts from 100 years ago. And um, it was delightful. The past is a wonderful country to visit, and uh, I'm looking forward to spending more time there. <laughs> that was one of my first jobs out of college, too. That um, I what? was when um, we were first switching over to PageMaker in InDesign. Like, that was the my first job uh, in college was, like, learning all of that. But in the process, I had to work with uh, people because our printing process was still old school and, like, yeah. actually going and setting letters by hand. So I, I haven't done much of it, but I've certainly uh, I'm familiar with that process. So it's, um, it's pretty awesome. It's funny. Even dig- yeah. digital technology has actually helped with letterpress because you can actually – you can typeset digitally or paginate digitally and output it to plates that can then be taken and printed on a letterpress. Oh my gosh. Just like put. I know, it's so wild. Cool. And 2D, 2D cutting, 2D cutting, you can cut stuff out. Anything that can take ink, you can cut out, you put in a letterpress, you can print on it. So the future of letterpress is partly digitally driven. It's cool. I love it. I love it. All right, Christina, where are you up to this week? So I'm going to be um, at the, doing some stuff with the, going to the Tribeca Film Festival and writing some things about about VR filmmaking. Um, and, and hopefully that will be up um, uh Either uh, probably early next week is is, is what I imagine um, while the while the festival is still going on. So that's kind of my my next big thing that I'm working on. That sounds fun. That sounds fun. I hope you get some equally awesome quotes from that this week. <laughs> I, I doubt I doubt they're going to be that good. To be totally honest, but but yeah, <laughs> it'd have to be a pretty. Uh, you'd have to like have the equivalent of the room like going on. Right. <laughs> Your thing. By the way, have you guys read that book? The um the 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 disaster artist like. I've, I read the book no. that uh, by Greg Sistero because they're making a movie out of the making of The Room. If you all have not read that, it is fascinating. So it's like the the kind of cute, like blonde guy, the Tommy's, uh, the company's Tommy was saw through that whole film. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book about his experiences. And oh this dude is off the charts. <laughs> like, it is amazing. So um, I have a friend yeah. who just went to see, uh, was it that? He was doing a live screening with Nowski. And he went to see the movie. The guy is such a good sport. He likes what he does. And my friend got a picture with him. Oh, that's awesome. Very awesome. That's awesome. I that's know. awesome. That's great. See, this week, I am uh, – my uh, my congressional campaign is building a studio. So we're about to start releasing videos every week, uh, both uh, you know interviewing people in District 8 and talking about things as they're coming out. So we're really excited to do that. Uh, another byproduct of that is hopefully the audio quality for Rocket is going to be better on my end starting next week. So uh, that's what I'm up to. 
So uh, do we do anything else here, Christina? What's the formula? Is, do I just uh, say terminated I, I, now? I think we Is just that... – uh, now Now I think – uh, uh, please rate and review us on iTunes. Oh, it right. really helps. Yeah. yeah. You know what? If you want to review us, that's cool. Whatever. That's cool. Um, I think the show is terminated. <laughs> <laughs> it's terminated. Yeah. Glenn? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. No, no, no. Thank you you got to say, the no, say terminated. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Terminate. Okay. End of line. Okay. We're going to no, try sorry. that again. Okay. This right. episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 <laughs>